Hey everyone, welcome to the latest edition of Compass Thoughts. My name is Pastor Joey Silva. This is the official podcast of Belmont Assembly. And today we want to give you just a quick disclaimer with this podcast. The individual that we are interviewing today is a missionary in a sensitive country. And so because of that, uh, we're just not going to be using their name. We will refer to them as Mr. M. And so we are so happy to have Mr. M here with us today. Uh, Part of why we're not using his his name is we're able to talk more openly about what he and his family are doing and what that looks like. And so we want to have an opportunity to really get insight into all that while at the same time uh, protecting their mission and protecting what God has called them to do. Thank you, Mr. M, uh, for joining us. I got a couple uh, lighthearted questions just to open up. And, you know, I kind of always like to start with some fun stuff. And so one of the first things I was thinking about, and I've known you for a little bit, and so I feel like I can be uh, a little sillier with you. But if you had to live in a world without bread or a world without pasta, what do you choose? Oh, man. Well, first, let me just say thanks so much for for letting me come and, and join you on the podcast. We love your church. We love your people, uh, Pastor Carlos, Pastor Joey, and your wonderful wives. And uh, we just are so thankful for you guys in our being partners with us in yeah. ministry and uh, and friends. So thanks thanks so much for for that. So if I if I had to live in a world without bread or pasta, I mean I feel like. Uh, I feel like for me, I'm going without bread. Really? Maybe because, maybe because I love spaghetti <laughs> and I love Alfredo and I, I do love sandwiches, which require sure. bread. Sure. But maybe, uh, so noodles a take here. a little bit of work, you know, <laughs> yeah. noodles take a little bit more work. So maybe I'd be better at counting carbs or like, eliminating carbs if, if I went without bread. Sure. Cause I could eat sense. a lettuce wrap or something, you know, and tell, pat myself on the back for that, you know, or so, you a little know. overall healthier. Yeah. Yeah. But I love, I love pasta. So I, I would probably go, I would probably go without bread. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cubs or Cardinals and why the Cubs? <laughs> oh man, that's, that's hilarious. Well, I, so I grew up in Southern Illinois and so we gravitate towards St. Louis, probably mostly because it's a shorter drive. Sure. Southern and, Illinois is just East Missouri. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> I've made that same comment. So like the closer you are to a border, I feel yeah. like the more like that state you are sure. in Illinois, like up in the North Wisconsin and uh, Missouri and Indiana on the West side. So yeah, we gravitate towards Cardinals. So I grew up going to Bush Stadium and rooting for the Cardinals. And uh, uh, I was a Rams fan until they left. And so I'm kind of like a man without a team. Hey, we and got one so, right here for you, brother. So I, you know, maybe people will say I'm a bandwagon guy, but I've I've always rooted for the Chiefs as a secondary ah, team. Well, it's a Missouri and so, thing. Yeah, so, um, but, uh, so I, yeah, I would probably say, now I'm I'm more of a Chiefs fan rooting for them and and uh hoping Mahomes can can start another dynasty. Okay. You got a good chance at it. <laughs> um you and I are both foodies. So tell me what you would consider your favorite international food. Oh wow. My favorite international food. Um I would say in terms of of um 
amount, like amount of different foods that I like from that group. Yeah, yeah. I would say Mexican. Come on. Uh, maybe people would say, well, that's not real Mexican. You're eating Tex-Mex or whatever. But I would say, you know, I love tacos, burritos, fajitas. Like I can list a hundred things of, of Mexican food that I, that yeah. I love. Uh, but I would say if I were to pick out of international foods, I'm going to go General So's chicken Ooh. <laughs> nine times out of 10. You know, if it's not a fajita, it's General So's chicken. But uh, yeah, so. Despite the fact that that was totally made in the United States. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's not even like authentic yeah. at all. <laughs> all right, Give me last, some General So's and fried rice. I'm good. Last, last on this one. Um, we all know you're great, but we also all know your wife's greater. How'd yeah. you guys meet? Uh, so my wife and I actually met on the mission field. Nice. This we, is before you were both missionaries? Yeah, we ne- neither of us, we didn't know each other. And then we both ended up teaching at a Christian school in the Middle East. Mm. And uh, uh, we, we both taught the same grade level. So we both were elementary teachers teaching fourth grade. Mm. So our classrooms were right next to each other. We had breaks together, took the kids out on recess and everything. So um, yeah, we just became really, really good friends during that year. And, um, yeah, we just, she was just really fun. And one of the things that I loved about her, so I'm a worship leader too. So I would Mm -hmm. lead worship for our, our Bible studies and whatnot. And I, I can just remember seeing her as she worshiped. Yeah. And that was just something that really drew me to her. And, uh, so yeah, so we met each other. We had our first date on Valentine's day, 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And then, uh, uh, so Valentine's Day is February 14th. Yeah. On March 13th, I proposed. <laughs> and then on June 25th, all in the same you yeah. know, year, I, we got married. Come and on. so we came back and got married between school years and then went back and continued serving for four years at that same school. Wow, so you, when you know, you know. When you know, you know. <laughs> I used to hate it when people said that. I used to hate it. And then I was like, oh yeah, well, when you know, you know. <laughs> After I met her, I was like, I'm now I'm one of those people that say that, that phrase. I love it. Um, so kind of getting into that, um, obviously you and your wife weren't strangers to living in a foreign country. It's something you both uh, independently had a heart for, which I love that about you two, is that it wasn't your calling and she tagged along or vice versa. Yeah. This is very much something that God independently planted in both of your hearts. And because of that, I believe joined you together. Oh, it would have been a deal breaker. Sure. It would have been a deal breaker. We both both wanted to have that conversation with each other before we got serious. And I think on our first date, we both discussed like, hey, could you see yourself, you know, mm-hmm. doing this long-term? And I mean, for, for both of us, it was it was that important to us that we were, we, we wanted to talk about it early on. Yeah, and I think that's huge because I think a lot of people don't consider the purpose and the plans that God has for them when they're making up their own plans and purposes. Yeah. So I love that about you guys. But kind of going into now you're married, uh, you know, you have a couple of kids. What drove you and your family to pack up and move across the world? Because it's one thing as a single dude. Yeah. But, you know, being a father myself and thinking about the responsibility you have and even just this, the safety idea, you know, you move to the Middle East and some might say, you know, hey, that's crazy. Why would you take your young children, newborn children um, on that kind of journey? So what drove you guys to want to do that or feel the need to do that? 
Yeah, I think part of it was because we were already living there, mm-hmm. we kind of had a good feel of the the culture and where we were living. Um, and so for us, it was kind of like, well, this is this is where we met. This is where our our life together began. Um, and we just, I think the I think the more you um, experience another culture, especially when you immerse yourself in it, when you're you're living among the people, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't living in a, um, we weren't living in like a compound, you know, yeah. we were living in an apartment building with a, an Arab landlord, landlady. Yeah. And we were living in a community where everybody around us was Arab, mostly Muslim. And so when you, when you're immersed in that culture, you, you begin to become more comfortable things yeah. that maybe jumped out at you that would, Oh, what's that about? Or, Oh, why is that guy saying that? You know, things start to become more normal and you, you become less shocked. Like the culture shock kind of wears off. And I think for us, you know, we knew, we knew that we had gotten to know the people in the country where we were serving. And so for us, we knew that they were going to love our kids. Mm. We knew that there were going to be dangers, but there's going to be dangers anywhere we live. Um, We're never guaranteed tomorrow or the next breath. So for us, it wasn't a matter of, uh, hey, oh, look at this, um, look at this other culture or this other country. It could be more dangerous. It was more so of, if this is what the Lord's calling us to do, then we're in his will. And that's the safest place that we could be or our kids could be. So that's, for us, we've just always rested on that, um, that truth or that promise that wherever the Lord sends us, like in Jeremiah chapter one, when, when the Lord sends Jeremiah to speak to the people, he says, I'm gonna tell you what to say. I'm gonna tell you where to go. And don't worry because I'm gonna be there to deliver you. Mm. And so for us, we've just rested on that and just said, Lord, if this is where you want us and if this is where you call us home, then that's, that's the case as well. Yeah. But just trusting in him and being in his will. I love that you, you bring up that perspective. I remember one time I asked a, a guy I met from the Congo, and we had known each other a little bit already. And I remember asking him, hey, is the Congo as crazy and scary as they say it is? And he replied by just leaning in and asking me, is Chicago as crazy and scary as they say it is? <laughs> and he's just bringing up a point. Like when yeah. you grow up in it, when you're surrounded by it, you know, whatever it is, it's it's your reality. And so it's not as crazy. It's not as scary as, as some other things. So kind of along those veins, uh, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned living in the Middle East? Because yeah. I mean, total right now, you've had how many years? Uh, about, right about 10. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I moved I moved to the Middle East in August of 2010. Okay. Yeah. So you've learned a thing or two, right? Yeah. What are, what are some, some lessons, some things that you've really taken away from? Um, and even with that, I mean, kind of the next question I wanted to ask, we could talk about some misconceptions that people here might have. Mm. But I, before that, I am curious, what are some of the lessons that you've taken away from the last 10 years there? Yeah, I think what I've, what I've learned is um, that the only way we are effective is by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we have got to be saturated in him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a full believer in the, the spiritual gifts, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and, um, and, you, and praying in the Spirit. Um, abiding is huge. Yeah. Um, 
I remember looking around, we were part of an international church. Um, I was the worship leader and we were on staff there and we looked around and there were 14 Muslims in our service. Wow. And we were talking about like a service of like, if the Muslims weren't there, there would have been like 25 people, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about, they made up like half a third of the group. Right. And, um, and my, my buddy who was sitting next to me, he was our lead pastor. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's, he's gave me a note. Cause I said, did you realize there's 14 Muslims here? And he gave me a little note that said, the fruit of abiding is a harvest of souls. Wow. And so we know that abiding is paramount, that we we have to be, we have to let him fill us up so that we have anything to give out. Because if we try to give out of our own abilities, which I've tried to do sure. before, um, it just, it falls flat. And it's not, you're not as passionate, you're not as joyful. Um, there's just a lot of things that kind of fall to the wayside if you're not abiding. And so, um, so I would say that is, is a huge one. Was there something about living there that made that more of a reality for you versus just doing ministry here in Southern Illinois? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think part of it is when you leave, um, like, uh, I don't want to paint with too broad of a stroke, but like, you know, you living in America, we have religious freedoms, mm-hmm. um, and we do have a significant Judeo-Christian worldview that kind of is in the backdrop, despite being post-Christian or sure. post, you know, we still have those those morals and values, you know, despite the fact that maybe they're not lived out by everyone. Yeah. And so when you leave that, um, and honestly, when you leave the comfort of your own culture, I would mm-hmm. say too, you learn quickly that, you're, you become uncomfortable, you, there's, there's pressure around you, and then there's also the spiritual element. So mm-hmm. we've lived in countries that are predominantly Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so Islam is what dictates every aspect of their life. Whether they're nominal or not, Islam is still what the government is run by. It's sure. where they filter everything. Everything is filtered through that lens of the teachings of Muhammad. To a much higher degree than Judo Christianity is here. Right, right, yes. Judeo, like ev- everything <laughs> is, you know, how are you? Alhamdulillah, you know, I'm, I'm, I praise God in, in my response, right? Yeah. Um, hey, when, will you have that thing done today? Inshallah, if God wills it, you know, which, which means no. Sure, yeah. <laughs> usually, usually it's their way of saying no without saying no. But, but the, the point I'm making is that God is, is um, threaded throughout their daily interactions as well. Um, uh, like if, if you see um, uh, someone has, has children, someone, if someone brings up your, their children in a conversation, their response is, Allah khalila khiyahum. So may God keep them for you. Mm. So the point I'm saying is God is, is, is threaded throughout their daily life and, and Islam specifically uh, dictates a lot of that. Would you say because of that, that even the nominal Muslim in that area is more, adver- not adverse, is, is more uh, cognizant and, under- and has a better understanding of their faith than the nominal Christian here in the States? I would say, I would say yes and I would say no at the same time. And okay. let me break that down. 
So I would say yes, in so much as they're at least, they at least know enough that they're going to put on a good front. Sure. You know, they're going to put like, if, even if they're a nominal, uh, nominal Muslim, um, they're, they're still going to say the things like, Alhamdulillah, yeah. Allah khilak yahum, things like that, things that have God in them. They know the playbook. Yeah, mashallah, you know, oh, God, God blessed you. God willed that for you. Um, so they know that, those things. So they'll give the best, they'll give probably a better impression. Like for us in America, like if you're not a Christian, like th- there's no, there's no um, pressure to like, Act like one. Act that way. Now, maybe if you're in a small town, your family, you know, you're sure. the son of a pastor, maybe there's some pressure there to to act it out or to, you know, whatever. But um, but for for them, there's a much more, uh, much higher pressure to conform to yeah. that certain. So then, I, so then I would say no also, because if you ask them what they're, Quran actually teaches, they're only going to be able to cherry pick a few verses for you that are going to refute Christianity mm. or, or make their prophet look really good. Sure. Um, they're not going to cherry pick the, the verses that talk about violence, that talk about um, mistreating women, that talk about, you know, any number of, of negative aspects. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think going with that, uh, can you kind of shed some light maybe on some of the more common misconceptions Westerners, people in the United States have when they think about the Middle East, when they think about Muslims, or even just the fact that they think the whole Middle East is Muslim? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I guess we'll start, we'll start there at that last thing you said. A lot of people don't realize is that there's a historical Christian population in the Middle East. Yeah, I think the Bible was written somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, some some guy named uh, uh, named Abraham, you know, was yeah. from over there and came, you know, and and Jesus walked around. There. Yeah, and so there's there's a significant number of Christians living in the area we call the Levant. Mm-hmm. So like the Holy Land, Syria, Iraq, um, uh, uh, Lebanon. You know, Lebanon is almost 40% Christian. Wow. And people don't realize that, you know. Um, in fact, in Lebanon, it's it's completely legal to proselytize and to convert to from Islam to Christianity or vice versa. Wow. Um, of course, there's the societal pressures and the family pressure and and honor and shame that play into that as well. But there's a there's there's other people groups as well. There's there's the Druze people who have a totally different belief system. There are still Samaritans, people who identify as, as the people of Samaria from, wow. from Jesus's day, you know? And so there, there are other people groups as well. There are, and even within Islam, you have Shia, you have Sunni, you have uh, Sufi who are more, um, more mystical in their beliefs. So there's a lot of, there. I would say like, you can't necessarily look at all Muslims and put them in the same box. It's not monolithic. Right. And even uh, Nabil Qureshi um, uh, has since passed away, gone to be with the Lord. But he, um, he shared that, you know, for every Muslim, there's an Islam because nobody does it exactly the same. Mm. Some people might prioritize one thing over another, or they might think something over and over more than a, so there, he, he claims that even within the ones who are devout, that there's still any number of Islams that they follow because they 
personally, you know, tailor it to themselves. What exactly does Islam mean? Uh, so Islam means submission, like uh, Muslim means to submit. Mm. Um, so it's it's a submission to God. Mm. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, any other misconceptions that you've picked up, or even just going back and forth, where you're yeah. like, I know sometimes I had a uh, I had a student one time about a friend from England, and and she asked him. What language do they speak in England? Mm. And he just was completely dumbfounded. And he's like, English. <laughs> so she goes, so what do they speak in Britain? And he's <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Yeah. And so I think sometimes uh, our closed off nature can cause some funny misconceptions and then some not so funny ones. <laughs> Lord help our schools, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I would say one of the biggest misconceptions is that they're all radical. Yeah. Or that... Uh, now, I do want to preface this with, um, you know, Islam does have the potential to radicalize people mm-hmm. if they get really deep into it, um, if, they, if they're consumed by it. Um, it can't it, it can radicalize. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the guys who went to fight for ISIS were well-educated, affluent people. Like a lot of people think, oh, they were... They were all poor, and so they were easy pickings, right? Because mm-hmm. um, they were they were poor; they had nowhere else to look but for community or whatever. But the reality is, is that's not the case. There were some of that, but there were a lot of guys who were educated. But the point I'm making is, most Muslims are very, very kind and very gentle people. Mm. In fact, it's part of their honor shame culture that they they want to honor you. As yeah. a as a foreigner, as a as a guest in their home, and they are some of the most hospitable people. Now they're also kind of compelled to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's part of their culture. So it's not always coming from the best place of their, you know. Like if somebody's hospitable in our culture, it's not like a mandatory thing, you know, like yeah. for it to be hospitable. So for us, you're like, oh wow, that's really sweet that they're hospitable. But in, and I would say that's the most case. Most of the cases with Muslims is that they're very hospitable, and it is from a genuine place of wanting to be, you know, mm-hmm. hospitable and kind. But um, I would say realizing that people are people are people. Yeah. So like, what, just because they're a Muslim doesn't mean they don't want their kids to grow up and get a good education or get a good job or have safety. Sure. So many of them they don't like the conflicts that rise up. Because they're like, well, one, if tourism is our main uh, source of income, we don't want people to be afraid to come here. Sure. And also, by the way, I love my kids. Mm. And I don't want my kids to be bombed or killed by, you know, uh, an attacker because of difference of philosophy or politics or, you know, whatever. So most of them are very, very normal people. They go to work. Um they take care of their kids. They try to provide a good life for them. And so that's another, I think, misconception is, is they, you know, they think that, oh, they're, they're trying to radicalize their kids or, or whatever. And um, that's not, not generally the case. Yeah. Uh, I would probably, the only thing I would add that I've seen is this idea that a lot of people have that there's this like, you know, all of them live in a desert and yeah. a hut. And it's like, Oh, there's cities and they're amazing tech. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of the, I mean, we have, listen, 
we are, we are getting ripped off when it comes to cell phones in America. Yeah. Like, like the, like, I mean, like the companies that give us cell service, I got unlimited everything for like 20 bucks a month. <laughs> I'm like paying out the rear end here, you know, for, uh, I don't know if I can say that. Or not. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm paying out the wazoo, you know, for, uh, for, uh, cell, you know, cell service here in the States. I'm like, man, it's breaking me, man. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I love it. Um, you had mentioned the, the normalcy of, of Muslim people and the hospitality. Um, what are some practical ways that you find people can evangelize to the Muslim community? Uh, particularly, I think about here in Chicago, we have a mosque up the road and uh, there's a, a pretty decent sized Muslim community in our area. But I find that you kind of see them on this side, them on that side. A couple of times when I've traveled overseas, you tend to see a lot of the Muslim community be isolated. Now that might be because they've, people have isolated them. Mm-hmm. It might be because they isolate themselves or it might just be a perception. But what are some practical ways to break some of those barriers and first and foremost, love on them, but obviously yeah. ideally uh, try to evangelize and preach the gospel? Sure. I, I would say... Um, I would say that Muslims are some of the easiest people to talk about Jesus with mm. because it's not taboo to talk about religious things with them. Wow. Um, you know, in our American culture, it's almost become taboo yeah. to talk to people about religious things because like we're so enlightened now, right? Yeah, yeah. We're so enlightened, like we don't, you know, we, we don't need God as much. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, sure. talking about segments of our society, not all. You know, I think even culturally, a lot of, a lot of it is relevant truth. Like, yeah. man, whatever you believe is cool. Yeah. Like, you do you, I'll do me. Yeah, don't try to convince me that you're, yeah. Yeah. So with, with Muslims, um, that, that's not necessarily the case. They welcome that kind of uh, conversation. Mm. And so I would say some practical things is one, don't be, don't be intimidated to get, engage in conversation with them. Um, because some, I, I mean, I'm going to be careful with my words here. I think the enemy is crafty. Mm-hmm. And I think he has created certain aspects of certain belief systems in order to make them intimidating. Sure. Um, whether it's like the the beard or the dress or like this, you know, the very serious um, scowl, you know, or or whatever. Um, it can be intimidating. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't really want. Or even just like the the hijab that women wear. Like they're, it's almost like they're letting everybody know what they are. Yeah. And, and it can be intimidating. So I would say, one, don't be intimidated, especially for, for women. Um, I would say... Uh, I would say keep it gender specific, you know, kind of like at the altar at camp, guys yeah. pray with guys, girls pray with girls. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're a guy, a Christian guy, you know, I would not approach a Muslim woman um, unless like the Holy Spirit was like, go talk to that person. I would say um, let let a believing sister mm-hmm. go and, and be that that branch to to... Because, not because of, there's anything wrong with a man talking to a woman, but because culturally for them, even though they're in America, yeah. they still are raised in a home that has that clear delineation of male to female interaction sure. is taboo if you're not married. 
um, or engaged or something mm-hmm. like that. So I, anyway, I would say let the intimidation, let, you know, get, get past it because for, um, for that person, you just saying hello and becoming a friend could change their eternity. Amen. And so, um, my wife and I, we always, um, promote this, uh, um, workshop called say hello ministries. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, I love the name of it because saying hello could mean becoming a friend and changing their eternity. And so it's geared towards women, having uh, empowering women uh, who are Christian to reach out to Muslim women mm. because many of them are here and they don't have friends. They're far away from home and their culture, their family. And so they're looking for friendship and community. And so if, if, um, if women in the church reach out to them, um, it can create an open door for them to hear the gospel. Amen. So I would say the, on top of that, like, okay, so you've met that person. Well, in the first three minutes of that conversation, you need to talk about Jesus, the Bible, church, you know, prayer, whatever. Like you need to, you need to let them know that you're a Jesus person in the first three minutes. Wow. Because one, you need, like if, if I met you and I, and I hung out with you for, three or four hours. And, um, and then we hung out another time and I never told you I was married. Wouldn't you think, well, that's weird. Like Mm -hmm. his wife must not be very important to him if he's not telling me now, depending on the circumstance, it may not come up, but like, if I get to know you for a while and I become your friend, I never talk about my wife. It's kind of weird. Like, well, don't you love her? Don't you want to talk about her? The same thing with Jesus, even more so we, a lot of times we're too, we don't want to get Jesus in the conversation early because we want to develop a friendship. But then what happens is now we're kind of timid to introduce him because we don't want to lose the friendship. Oh, okay. And so for us, this is what, like when, when, when we were, you know, training um, new workers coming out in the field, we would tell them, get Jesus in the conversation. Because if you start the friendship or the relationship on that foot, then, then there's no uh, worry about losing the relationship by introducing him later. That's so interesting because it's so opposite of how we tend to interact here in the States mm. where it's like, hey, don't bring up religion and politics. You know, you yeah. just met this person. It's like, yeah, kind of even using your analogy, it's like meeting a girl and going, hey, let's get married in a few years. It's like too much too soon. Yeah. But I like the fact that you mentioned it's not the case when it comes to most Muslims who are willing to engage in religious conversation. I think it's just our unwillingness or even just hesitancy to bring it up. A couple more things, and then we can wrap this up. Um, I'm interested, we talked a little bit about cultural shock and the transitioning of going from the States to the Middle East. How are your children transitioning going from the Middle East to the States? You know, most of their life has been over there. Yeah. Um, Our daughter is still pretty young, um, so so she has, she's only two. So she hasn't had as much of a sure. attachment there, but, um, I, our son is six and he, he, his really, his, his earliest memories are now in the Middle East because we were there during, mm-hmm. during that time. And so he often talks about how he misses it and wants to go back. Um, um, probably mostly because of friends, you know, sure. he, he was, he was not, he, he went to school in an, a local school. So it was like half English, half Arabic. So, um, he was getting pretty good at Arabic. Is his Arabic better than yours? Um, 
You know, I think he's got a lot, you know, kids are sponges. So they, they soak up a lot. And there's times where he'll say something. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know you knew how to say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's, his is better, mostly because he, he's very reticent to use sure. it. <laughs> sure. But, um, but may, well, I, his will definitely be better than mine, you know, in the next three or four years. Oh, for sure. Oh. Well, speaking of which, I wanted to wrap this up with uh, you giving us some tidbits and insight into what the next chapter in your guys' journey is going to be. Yeah, so we're um, we're we're going to be focusing on church planting, and so in our context, what that looks like is house churches. Can um, you say the area? Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we'll be in the West Bank, okay. um, uh, which is uh, controlled by Israel, but it's um, Palestinian, mostly mm-hmm. Palestinian by population. It's definitely one of the most contentious places in the world at this time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a it gets a lot of uh, attention sure. for for sure. Um, so the 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 focus is to base out of out of the West Bank, and there there are, there are about six million Muslims um, that live in the Holy Land. If you mm-hmm. count West Bank, Gaza, other neighborhoods in Israel proper mm-hmm. that are um, that are Arab. And so um, we we just really have a heart to see that that area transformed by the by the gospel. Amen. And so house church planting. So you, if you remember when Jesus sent out the seventy two by two, and he he tells them, you know, look for a person of peace. Yeah. You know, well, a person of peace. Um, what we've come to de- um, define that as is someone like Cornelius. Mm-hmm. So when Peter went to Cornelius's house after having the vision mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit r- revealing to him like, oh, this, the, that vision was because Gentiles are not going to accept the gospel. They're going to be in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And um, in that, in that, or after Peter shared, um, Cornelius becomes a believer and gets baptized, but it's, it's not just him. Mm-hmm. It's his whole household that becomes a believer. And so um, these are the kind of people that we're looking for. We're looking for people who are, who are ready to receive the gospel, ready to become followers of Jesus, but who are also ready to open up their network yeah. and bring others in and, and bring their family in or bring their, their friends or neighbors, people, you know. So we're, we're praying for people of influence mm-hmm. to become these persons of peace who will... Um, who will kind of, like, like I said, they'll have influence. So whenever they become a believer, other people will say, oh, wow, like there must be something to this. Well, it's so much more powerful when it's from a native culture and native perspective. Yeah. You know, Paul being both Roman, fully Roman and fully Jew was able to go places and do things. And some of the other disciples weren't. Yeah. Um, So I love that. And man, I'm just so grateful for what you and your family are doing. Um, we love missionaries here at our church. We're excited to have you uh, come and speak to our church in the future. And um, man, we're just praying for you. We we love you guys. We have so much fun whenever we're around you. you. And Mr. M, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for your prayers and partnership. And we love you guys. Awesome. Tune in uh, next week as we talk to another guest and we explore some further Compass Thoughts. God bless.